Let's pray together. Lord, it's such a gift to start the week in worship together. And Father, we, um, we ask that the sacred words of Scripture would open us to the reality of your love and your, your guidance, your presence. Pray, Father, that you would uh, speak in ways that we understand this morning as, as you always do, uh, though from time to time I tend to close my ears even when you're speaking in plain English. Uh, we pray you open us, though, Lord. We pray we catch a glimpse of this hope we have to, together here today and find ourselves uh, transformed, uh, converted, uh, find our feet on a new path if that's the case, but that you would just work with us, God, as we sit here together. Thank you for your son, for the bread and the cup which we will share and the, the energy we find for our living in that meal. Uh, we pray all this through Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to spend uh, more time in the gospel according to Mark. And I just have like four verses. Um, if you've been reading along in Mark, we're going to be in, in Mark for, for a minute, uh, on Sundays anyway. Um, you've noticed that it's 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 pretty layered. Uh, it seems like everything Mark says has meaning. <laughs> There's like very uh, few things uh, that don't have some hook in a larger story. Um, and especially in this first chapter, as we've seen. Um, today's, uh, I guess the theme of today is evangelism. Uh, but don't leave, because uh, you heard me say that, um, uh, because perhaps what, what I'd love uh, to happen here for us is for, for Mark uh, to, to define what that means. Um, and it might mean uh, something uh, that it shouldn't, uh, it might mean new and better things for you. <laughs> um, I don't know where you sit when you hear the word evangelism, but I get a sort of icky feeling. Um, Mostly because I, I connect it to um, going door to door and telling people about their need for forgiveness if they've accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. And I think about how awkward <laughs> that can feel from both ends, from the one who's offering that and also the one who's receiving that invitation. Uh, as it turns out, the gospel is far more challenging and difficult th than that. And I think, I think what we find here is something that's not so much like a sales pitch or a tract of information to save our ever-loving souls, so much as an announcement about a reality that both comforts and challenges. The Mark, like, uh, like the prophets before him, uh, talks about judgment and salvation and both have a place to hear the good news there's an act of judgment happening um, 
in our hearts as we listen. And there is salvation available in, in that judging word, um, but it's always both. The gospel is good news, or it could be very bad news. It depends on how you hear it. It's a sifting message at some level. Um, so just briefly, where we've been so far. Uh, As I said, if you've been following along, you know now that Mark is telling a story. And and God has used uh, these stories, this form, this way that Mark writes about Jesus Christ and what has happened in him and and to him and through him, uh, in that form of a story. It's not just information. It's not just a pamphlet of do's and don'ts. There's a story that the people of God or any reader of Mark must deal with. And that story is the way that God is revealed to us. That means, though, that we can't just read Mark and whatever strikes us is best. Whatever the Spirit says to me as I'm reading, something like that. No, if you want to hear what the Spirit has said through the Word, we must listen to this human being named Mark Mark, and how God has used him in his story. To hear the Word of the Spirit is to do business with what this author of God's testimony, right, this witness of Christ, how, what and how he said it. To hear uh, the story is to hear it honestly and in its purest form. Could you get something by just thumbing through Mark and all that's encouraging? Sure. Uh, I would think of that as like maybe a a meal from McDonald's every night if you read Mark that way. It won't kill you quickly, (laughs) but, but it's not true nourishment. And so I love this taking time. We noticed in the first 11 verses that Mark is lying out a story that tells about the end of the exile. How are you guys doing? I want to read this quote and then we'll get into our uh, verses for today. Um, But I love this, how Jonathan Pennington has uh, described how the gospel authors define the gospel. Now, this is loaded. So, again, don't leave the room when you hear it. We'll we'll unpack it. Uh, For now, we can observe that the New Testament authors, building especially on the Isianic vision. Isianic is just a word for Isaiah. Isaiah's vision of of good news. Uh, Define the gospel as Jesus's affecting the long-awaited return of God himself as king and the power of the Spirit bringing his people back from exile and into the true promised land of new creation, forgiving their sins and fulfilling all the promises of God and the hopes of his people. This Isianic vision itself, based on God's work in the Exodus, which the prophets take up and reappropriate to describe God's future work. Okay. He says that, well, with, with not enough periods. There's a lot of, it's a very long sentence. But, but what, what he said, you get the picture. The gospel's a big deal. How we can define the gospel has to do with God's long-awaited return as king. There's a sense in which God is coming to claim that which is his. 
in Jesus, what we, we're going to see this uh, beginning uh, in, a, I think, maybe two weeks from now, and even in Mark 1, in the very first chapter. Jesus showing up and making the announcement, the good news, is like an invasion. Which is why you find Jesus driving out demons from people's lives, exorcisms and healings, claiming from evil that good earth which belongs to him. This isn't just about our lives after death, so much as God coming to take back that which belongs to him. So you could describe this announcement as really getting at, like Isaiah says, it's the end of a long exile. The news of Jesus Christ is like the exodus when God brought his people out from bondage. The gospel is that kind of story. And it's big and it has to do with all creation. So we saw Jesus out uh, 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 last week in the wilderness, uh, spending time with the wild animals. Again, all of this has meaning for Mark. You think wild animals and human beings. You could go all the way back to the story of Eden. Jesus going to be in the wilderness, being tested by the Satan, spending time with wild animals. The story, if we're, again, if we're reading the Bible on a regular basis, every line is like our brains are bursting with the story. He's calling it up. But now in these verses... Jesus is going to back from this preparation season in the wilderness and he's going to begin his message. And it's pretty awesome. Uh, If you're able uh, and you're willing, would you stand as we read from uh, Mark? Chapter 1, verse 14. uh, We're going to read through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. All right, you may be seated. Jesus lives up north. Jesus doesn't live in Jerusalem. He didn't grow up there. Like so much of uh, what what we've read in the Old Testament, if we had been reading straight through, uh, there's such an intense uh, focus on Jerusalem. Uh, And the Bible will end with a portrait of Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't live there. He grew up and spent most of his life up in the north, in the Galilee, in in the area uh, where it's a little more rural, (laughs) uh, and the the industries were things like fishing. And in Mark, we begin here in Galilee, and Jesus' ministry unfolds in Galilee all the way till almost all the way through chapter 8. Mark's going to 
describe Jesus' proclamation of the gospel in the north in Galilee, not at the capital city, not where the temple is, not yet. But there's this constant, these stories are haunted by Jerusalem because when Jesus does finally turn toward Jerusalem in chapter 8 and following, uh, we know that he's going to face very hard times. Um, But we're told that right away, this is after John had been, uh, the word is handed over, paradidomi. It's the word that's going to be used of Jesus. He's going to be handed over. Now, we're not really told, uh, this is John the baptizer, we're not told why he was handed over. The idea is he was arrested, he was thrown in jail, um, and But you can imagine how John was a problem for some people. If you remember back to a couple of weeks ago, John dressed like the prophet Elijah. He went out into the wilderness and he basically uh, told the story that the exile is coming to a close. You need to change the way you're thinking about the times, about your life, and, and be baptized and be forgiven. Come out of your exile. And he's hearkening back to that whole story, saying basically, dressed as one of the great prophets, this is a big moment for us all. And it'd be really tempting to look at him, um, you know, as a nuisance, but maybe even an agitator, a provocateur, always stoking the flames of the things we don't, the fires we don't really want to burn, to turn our lives toward God to turn toward one another. Elijah said to come and turn fathers back to their children. But John is arrested, and it's not a stretch of the imagination to uh, understand why he was arrested, but we're not told. Mark moves at a brisk pace in this story. But now Jesus shows up, and his message is very similar to John's. With one important twist, (laughs) John talked about how he was preparing the way, like a forerunner, rolling out the red carpet, getting people ready for this big moment, the announcement of God's arrival into history as king. Uh, But John has now stepped off stage without much commentary, and Jesus' message is not one of preparation. It's an announcement. Jesus is not talking about what shall happen, as John was. Jesus is saying, this is happening. (laughs) Jesus is saying what John talked about is come. The good news, as uh, as Jesus puts it, just like John, uh, is, is, is an announcement having to do with the reign of God. But it's not a it's coming soon kind of message. It's a it's here. It's at your front doorstep. The kingship of God is upon you, namely in Jesus. And if they hated John, if John was a problem, they're not going to be super excited about Jesus from Galilee. He's making a claim here. The king has returned. 
Jesus himself doesn't just announce the kingdom of God. He doesn't just invite people to church or something like that. He implements the reign of God. It's not just a religious idea that John and Jesus are calling people to. When he calls them to turn back, to repent, to think differently, the idea is not for the salvation of your soul in a religious sense. This is to turn back a call for all people, beginning with Israel, to turn back to become more human, not less, not more soulish, more human, more embodied, more living the right kind of life in God's world. And Jesus, his announcement is that now is the time for that. But he's proclaiming the gospel of God. And the gospel, as I said, is, is not just a, a pamphlet about how individuals can be forgiven. It's news that the world belongs to God and he's come to claim it. When Jesus will go on to say, repent, he doesn't mean, I don't think, what I imagine, what I would imagine he means, which is think through all of your wrong behaviors, feel bad about those behaviors, and stop doing those things. He doesn't mean that. Repent here is a call to look at Jesus Christ, to look at what John was doing, and to be open that a huge change within the world is happening and to not shake a stick at it, to not treat it lightly. The call to change our behaviors is bound up in it, but the announcement to repent is to get to open ourselves up that Jesus is telling you the truth. It's a call to look at Jesus Christ and to accept that God has come among us. Now, we live... In a, it's been it's been hailed as a post-Christian, whatever whatever that means, post-Christian society, a secularizing society, a secular a secular time we live in, where uh, through a number of cultural happenings we have as a society basically kicked God upstairs. Um, you could have God if you like, but you don't need him. In fact, I just saw an article in the Times today about uh, there is now atheist chaplains for when you're dying if you don't have a faith in God. That's one option. Yeah, someone, I see your look. Like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but, but yes, exactly. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of options on the table in terms of our religious life. God, God is, is one of them. Um, but the announcement of, of God's reign... Uh, is, is not like that for Mark's audience. It's not like an option for me to have a better relationship with God alone. That would be too small. They're a little more prepared for this announcement, I might argue, than we are. Because in our society, most people aren't expecting the reign and rule of God. It's not what most of us grew up longing for. Our parents didn't tell us that one day the Messiah will come and he will make things right. 
Right now we're broke because Rome taxes us and we can't get ahead. But one day the Messiah will come and he will put things right. David will rebuild his temple and we will be God's people as he always said we would. And the nations will flock in to worship the God who calls us his. We didn't grow up with that way of looking at the world. Uh, Maybe you did. I can tell you I didn't grow up with that. So the expectation for a a world-shifting announcement wasn't one I had and sometimes struggle to have still. But you can see we read some of Psalm 93 this morning. You go and read the Psalms. My goodness, they are excited about the reign of God. And when they describe the reign of God, it isn't a religious phenomenon. It's righteousness and equity and justice, and the poor being cared for, the marginalized being brought in, the sick being healed, the depressed being encouraged. All of the problems in the world shall be put right when the Lord is king, and we're waiting for that to happen. And if you're waiting for that to happen, this is, a, this is good news. <laughs> this is quite an announcement. This is what gives Paul the the energy to say all creation groans waiting for God. Not just us. He says we too groan, but the world itself groans for God to come back, put us right, so we can be what we're supposed to be and the rest of creation can sigh with relief and the whole place can get to where God always desired it. This announcement has to do with that vision. It's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. It may not feel as personal just yet. Stay tuned. Uh, but it's, it's awesome. So the gospel uh, is something that is announced. Have you ever heard, as an old adage, it's been um, on a regular basis attributed to St. Francis, uh, it goes something like this. Share the gospel or preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that before? That's a a fine thing to say because it checks us religious folks who just want to turn the gospel into doctrines. Here's a list of things you can believe. Do you believe them? You do? Well, then you're perfect because you believe and think the right things. You're good now. This is what God always wanted for us to just think correctly. So preach the gospel and if necessary, use words as a check to that mentality. And the check is... Show the gospel, right? Don't just give information. Evangelism isn't purely information. It's a life. It's an embodied reality of God's reign on display. There's a witness involved. It's hollow if all we are is doctrine. It's so empty if it's just information about God and thinking right about him. And you never get to a communal life of love and justice and righteousness. That ain't the gospel, But it's not fair to say, if necessary, use words. I don't like that. You must use words. (laughs) This is an announcement that requires speech. This is an announcement that isn't just, just be loving. If you're loving, that's the kingdom of God. No, there's an announcement. Because as we would see if we were reading Matthew, the announcement carries with it a whole teaching about life in that kingdom. Speech is very necessary. But it's not just a matter of speech. Now, we get the word evangelism from, uh, we could trace it back to the Greek word for gospel. 
euangelion, uh, or um, get like evangel, right? Evangelion. You can hear it, right? Evangelism, evangelical. It's gospel. When we say evangelism, we're saying essentially gospeling. Now, yeah, you invite people to church, that's great. That ain't evangelism. <laughs> not, not, not rightly. Yeah, sure, that's great. Bring people to hear the gospel. But the gospel is the announcement of the reign of God. It, it requires speech and it requires a life. But then he goes on to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, what in the world is the kingdom of God? I think, I think uh, for a long time I was very clear about what the kingdom of God is and was in Jesus' day. Is it the church? Is Repent. Let's swap the language and find out. The time is fulfilled. The church of God is at hand. It doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> does he mean that? Yes, he does mean the church. But to talk about the church and the kingdom of God as like synonyms, you're missing the point. We talk about the kingdom, right? Have, do you talk like this? My brother and sister in the kingdom. It's so great to be in the kingdom. If our understanding of the kingdom is like denominationally informed, that is, you mean just us and our tribes, if by the kingdom you just mean the church, too small. Because we're talking not about a location. In fact, the Kingdom isn't maybe the most helpful word, and you're seeing updates in the translations as they revise English translations. Kingship is more the ideal, or the reign of God. It's not just a location. When we talk about living life in the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's universal reign as the creator and king. We don't just mean us. We mean life under the reign and rule of God, which stretches way beyond St. John's on Sunday afternoon and way beyond your uh, homes and neighborhoods and, and way beyond even our tribes of churches, beyond even all churches. The reign of God grabs hold of all creation. So when we're talking about the reign and rule of God, We're talking about uh, God as creator. I've never done this before because I don't want to look braggy or proud of myself. Um, But me and a good friend of mine have a podcast. Uh, There's like two people listen on a regular basis, so it's pretty exciting. We have this growing audience. Um, But no, uh, no, that's not true. It's it's been a gift in in many ways. But we're spending the next several months talking about creation and its connection to the reign of God. And this this is such an important topic that the the reign and rule of God is connected to God as creator. Like the psalm we read earlier, the floods have lifted up, but God is the king. God is the one who makes the floods. But it's not just a spiritual kingdom. I'm not a fan of language like that the spiritual kingdom of God, because it's talking about all creation. What does that mean? We're almost done, promise. I know this is a lot. There's so much. I'm, I'm like holding back. There's so much going on in these two lines. Um, the reign of God as an announcement, it requires a dismantling 
of false hopes. Trivial empires, vain ideologies, and allegiances we have to them. Uh, I won't, I won't uh, get into it now, but this is political. Uh, we are entering a, a, a time in 2024 where we could literally probably split the church right down the middle in about a couple of months. Because our ideologies are going to flare. What I believe, what needs to happen, what God wants. And man, does the church on a historically not do a great job when their allegiances are first and foremost to some political ideology. And God knows that we fail when that's the case. So do you know what he does? He lets us inherit a kingdom. He brings us into a reign where, think about it, the act of worshiping is in it's implied, it's political. We kneel and bow and worship God as the king. We're saying, this is our king. This is the one to whom all of our allegiance is. First and foremost, not even foremost, only our allegiance is to this God. The act of worship suggests it. The kingdom is a confrontation with small, shrunken ideologies that have a vision for the world that doesn't include the king returning and saving people from their bondage. And that's something that the church has to continue to hear. Jesus' announcement of the reign of God is going to challenge people in his day who were sick of Rome and had a very specific method and expectation of how to deal with Rome. Jesus challenges them by his own death. Those who are convinced that the the goal is revolution, they call them the the daggers, uh, sakari, the the ones with daggers um, that had a a, a vision for overthrowing Rome through violence. You're not going to hear about the kingdom of God if you think that's how it's going to go down. There is a whole group who retreat out to the desert. And they believe that the way to anticipate the reign of God is to leave town and just wait. That's not what's going to happen either. Some think just go to church a lot and just be really religious and keep the law perfectly. That's what God wants. No. The announcement of God's reign is going to be connected to the life of the cross. Our politics are informed by our dying so that God could give us life. How many of you are already uncomfortable because Biden and Trump are going to have a large percentage of our attention very soon? So we're going to be called by Mark to an allegiance first and only to God's reign. And if it's challenging for us, you better believe this announcement was sifting for that time. Okay. Couple of, couple of thoughts just about these, these, these fishermen and then we'll, we'll have announcements and offering and uh, be dismissed because you can't leave this on the table. This is too awesome. Uh, okay. Jesus' first act. John is thrown in prison. The time is here. It's not now like it's coming. The time is fulfilled. There's an intersection between the will of God and our calendars. God is among you now. The reign of God is upon you. Turn from whatever ideology grabbed hold of you and believe what I'm telling you. 
His first act is up north to walk along the lake and find some laborers, (laughs) like you do when you start a revolution. Now, in, in a couple of chapters, we'll learn he's going he's gonna to collect 12 men. Ring any bells? The number 12? The, this is the story of Israel. Because connected to the reign and rule of God is a renewal of the tribes of Israel. Jesus calling 12 men isn't like a John Maxwell leadership uh, skill or something like that. This is about embodying, symbolically showing the new, renewed Israel under God's reign, which is being implemented, uh, this is amazing, by them. And he calls these men, and Mark uses this phrase immediately. We saw it last week. Immediately. It happens twice in verse 18 and verse 20. You can look down if you don't believe me. But he calls them. He's walking immediately. He calls them. Uh, come and come after me. And what do these men do? They drop everything and go. Like they have lucrative jobs, hard jobs, but you don't just walk away from that. These guys have families. They're not just like roaming around panhandling. <laughs> they leave their lucrative jobs uh, and their family. You've got to know their wives are like, you, you did What? Like you left, you left, the, who, who's going to pay for the boat? Like how are we going to pay our taxes? These men drop, they leave, the word they abandon immediately is, comes up and then they left, they left everything. Jesus, come and follow me. He goes a little farther, same thing. These men are there fishing, two brothers. And he says, come after me. And immediately then they, they leave their things. Because this is what it looks like to repent. This is what it looks like. We get a story about what it looks like to respond to this good news right away. Mark wastes no time and portrays, here's what the call looks like. Now, are these guys going to be called to go door to door and invite people to church? No. (laughs) They're going to be called door to door, just like John, to announce the reign of God and to heal and to love. It's not just information they're going to be called to pass out. But this is what it looks like to respond. You repent to such a degree. You open yourself up to such a degree. If the Lord were to walk past and say, follow me, you'd be like, done. Let's go. It's amazing. Doesn't it remind you of another story in Israel, the very first story in Israel? Abram, living in Mesopotamia, God calls him and he says, go, leave your land and go to a land I will show you. And what does the text say? Abraham leaves. That's all it says. He gets up in the morning and he goes. Who does that? We do that. That's us. That's what the people of God are called to. If you've, if you've opened yourself up and you've changed your mind about what Jesus is, who he is and what he's going to say, when he says, follow me, you say, it's, I'm going. Because what he's doing is far bigger than what I've involved myself in. And so it's a summons. He calls them fishers of men, which is a quotation from Jeremiah. And it's not an encouraging thing. It's not like become fishers. I remember when I was studying the the scriptures for the first time, most of you know I came in through all my friends, you know, like like hip-hop was life. You know, like I didn't, if it didn't involve records and turntables, I wasn't having it. So like I remember this guy, he tried to get cute, and he's like, it's like, you know, Jason, Jesus is summoning you to be a DJ of men. 
And I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, DJ, whatever that means. But I don't think that's what's going on. Like, use your gift to show the world something new. Fishers of Men is a quote from Jeremiah, which is about God bringing judgment. It's catching fish. Fish don't want to be caught. <laughs> the fish isn't excited about being caught. <laughs> but this is, this, this is a way of saying they're going to go out and be involved in this work of announcing the gospel, which will bring judgment for some, but salvation for others. So this is how Mark begins his story. We're, we're only... 20 verses in. So you can see how deep this hole goes. But so cool. I hope this is at least, even if it doesn't feel very practical, I'm not sure what to do with all of that. Um, yeah, join the team. <laughs> but it's, it's to reorient us and to put us in touch with the reality as the scriptures describe it. With that, let's have a prayer and then we'll have our offering and announcements and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for what Marcus said. I thank you for uh, how you call us to a new kingdom, to your reign, to be family, to trust you. And God, we long to have the hearts and response of these men in their boats. We long to hear your voice inviting us to follow you and to have the courage to let go of what holds us back, to repent to the extent that we can let go of the strings which keep us tethered to this world or this whatever it is that holds us, God. We pray for hearts like that, and we pray for mouths that can be opened about this very good news that you've not left the world stranded, that you are at work, And we pray as the church that we could embody this reign, that the gospel wouldn't be information, but more and more community, more and more love, relationships, sharing and giving and praising and doing your will in the world instinctively, God, because you've forgiven us. We pray now as we take the bread and the cup that that we would see in your son's death not a left turn from your reign, but the very heart of it. That you overcome not through violence, not through sales pitches or something like that, but through your own death. God, help us to have courage as we take this meal and encourage our hearts in it. It's through Christ. Amen.